love riding my bike. I love running. I don't care what they think about it. I love it. At that point, when I knew I was going to win, chills just went up and down my entire body. I don't believe there are any good or bad foods. Food is food. I still feel so passionate about getting that record that I'm like, I'm just going to do it. As an athlete, I was like, what's my story or what's your story? What can you learn from it? And what can you teach people? Welcome to the Iron Women Podcast. I'm Alyssa Gadeski here with my co-host Haley Chura. And Haley, I am back in the year 2022, full on with electricity, power, internet. Wait, microphone. wait. Back in 2020, did you do some time traveling over the last week? <laughs> I'm like, wait, what happened? I feel like I did. I feel like I time traveled back to pioneer ages, Haley, because we had a huge winter storm come through on Friday and we record on Monday. So now it's Monday. It was Friday. The storm came through. It started Friday morning early and Friday at 7 PM, the lights flickered and actually earlier, it was like, they were flickering more around like 4 PM and then they went out a little bit, but then they came back on and we were like, whoo, we're good. And then at 7 PM, they were out for good. And then Haley, I proceeded to live for the next 40 hours, four zero, 40 hours of my life without power. Basically till like Sunday evening. Yeah. Sunday afternoon. We got back Sunday afternoon, like mid afternoon and it, the power was back on because. Wait, did you go somewhere? So, or were you living at home with no so power? I, mean, I was living was it... at home. Okay. So we, I lived at home for the first day and then I was like, okay, this is fine. And we're like getting our systems for the toilet flushing. And we were just letting all the dishes pile up. And the, I mean, it was just some silly dumb things that were like, so annoying. Like we were literally about to hit go on the dishwasher Friday night when the power went out. And so like, you have a whole thing of dirty dishes and then you have like nothing left in the cupboard and then you're stuck. And so you're like eating out of like, your power, cause you ate, your like water whatever. wasn't working. You didn't we have could water. Get, well, so we're, we're on well water and luckily it's like the well is above us. So we did get a little bit of like a gravity fed trickle, I guess, through okay. the weekend, but no hot water and nothing to, um, to like not enough to wash dishes with. I Wait, mean, how did we you, how did you flush the toilet? Did you go like melt snow? We had, so we were melting snow to cook with. So we have a gas stove so we could like cook pasta and stuff and, you know, like boil, whatever. And then we have a little stream outside and luckily it wasn't like totally frozen. And so we were able to like fill buckets from the stream. <laughs> At least you and still then... could have had the indoor plumbing. I feel like you and Matt, yeah. could have, you could have done the outhouse life. I mean, well, I thought that's what I was another... going to have to do. I was like, am I, do I have to go poop outside right now? Like in the morning? <laughs> and he's like, he's like, first of all, you can't dig a <laughs> because the, the ground is so frozen. Alyssa. Also it's under like 16 inches of snow or whatever. Right. So like. I mean, I, it's our property. So we could have in theory done whatever we wanted to do out there, but luckily people, it did not come but to then that. You would always be like <laughs> that flower <That's>... bed. <laughs> That's all you would remember every time you saw it. But you know how it is. Like when you start to like panic about it and then your body's like starts thinking about it and it's like, oh my God, we need to figure this out really quickly. But luckily Matt went and just got me as many buckets as I needed throughout the weekend to be able to flush the toilets that I wanted to flush. What a guy. Did you, um, what'd you do for entertainment? I mean, does anyone have like a acoustic guitar? Do you like sing, sing, sit around, like playing some songs, uh, you know, anything like that? Read well, by candlelight? I had 
I did a little bit of, so we have like a backup battery. So the backup battery lasted a couple hours and it like, it's supposed to last a lot longer than that, but I insisted on using our backup battery Haley for Zwift so that I could get through a trainer ride before what? like we lost all power. <laughs> that is, that is like commitment. I feel like I hope I you mean, like- it was- it, that was stupid. Some I should not have done that. Yeah. I should not have done that. But, and so part of it though, I was like, well, I also need a movie to watch. So I had downloaded some episodes of the Harry and Megan, um, documentary, the, of the, yeah, their documentary on Netflix. And so I luckily had a few extra episodes cause I didn't, I downloaded too many. So then we could like huddle together and watch the documentary on my phone until your phone Saturday. died. So my phone died. And then we were lucky. So we have fiber internet. So we could like can create this whole chain of power cords and things and plug into the truck and then get our router and modem working. And we'd have internet for, you know, as long as we wanted to run the truck, which wasn't like too long. Um, but it was quite, and it, everything just took a really long time. And it was like wet, heavy snow. And we had to shovel the deck and it was like, cause we didn't, we were, we didn't want, we, it was just so heavy. It's like, you don't want things to collapse. Right. So, yeah. um, it was Wait, so, so when now you you're like you're going on like 24 hours with power uh do you feel like it's a whole new life does it feel so so nice and everything gets done so quickly and you're so warm and clean yes and so but Haley the shower I took so I took the first thing I did was like get in the shower right as soon as I thought the water would be warm because I had gone so long without showering and I had clearly been doing my workouts still right so <laughs> I was like disgusting and on Sunday, then we like escaped to go cross country skiing. So I was like extra disgusting. Right. I was like, so sweaty, so happy to shower. And then Haley, I noticed though, my hair after that first shower, after not showering for so long. So, I mean, you know, we shower like multiple times a day all the time, right? Like swimming pools, just showering happens so much. And then my hair looked so good last night after not showering for two days. And then I finally like did a shampoo so I'm wondering if I'm showering too much and like, it's making my hair not like, I mean, it looked so good. It was like going to the hair cutter place almost. So I don't know what it did to my hair, <laughs> but I need going to, to the hair cutter so now I'm debating getting, a, <laughs> getting a shower cap and sometimes like forcing my hair to be dirty for two days, but I'll cleanse my body. Don't worry. Yeah. I, ha- I think it is bad for your hair, but I just love, I don't know. I love standing in the shower more than I like nice hair, but, um, no. Okay. Well, I'm glad it came back. I'm glad you have this new appreciation and sounds like you're still home. I know we, we talked about you're headed to uh Palm Springs here. So, so when are you headed out of town? I head out of town on Thursday. I believe I start the trek, the long trek from Vermont to Palm Springs. I'm definitely not a quick travel day, but I am excited for, for some sun. And I do, I will say, I realize all of the problems I described in the last few minutes are totally first world problems. And, um, we were, we were actually pretty lucky that the power did come on in 40 hours because there's still people tonight without power. So, um, yeah, definitely the towns have been coming together. There's a lot of resources and help for people, but it's just, it's just, yeah, it's no fun when that happens. Um, I had nervous too. I had no power for like two hours last year. And it was scary. I mean, when it's really, really cold, um, I do have like a gas fireplace, but it was where I was like, Oh my goodness, like definitely don't have a generator. And it was just, I mean, your brain starts going to kind of scary places, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I did 
learn. I had a second, a second heat source. That was like the big thing for, for me in that moment. So yeah, fingers crossed because I think the cold temps are happening all across the yeah, you have like American continent. We just talked minus to our, two days until it hits you. It's we just talked heat. to our uh, our yeah our producer Ella who just told us that in uh, she's in Victoria, so far western part of Canada, and it I think she said it was negative forty Celsius and Fahrenheit. So they get they're the same. All of us we all have the same <laughs> cold when it gets cold enough. And then I think that is headed to me in a couple of days. By the time this, by the time this uh, podcast is airing, I think Thursday was supposed to be like 33 below Fahrenheit here, but it was like the high was like negative 14, which is just like, Oh, I'm glad it warms up to that. I will not be doing any outdoor workouts. And honestly, I am like, oh, we'll see. Might just be like laying in bed and like, be <laughs> like, this is my workout. <laughs> just stay alive. But, um, yes. And then, it, then it just moves East. So I guess, well, you'll, you'll miss it. You'll be in Palm Springs, but you'll miss it when it hits Vermont, but good luck to everyone staying warm this week, do what you can, but, uh, take care of yourself for sure. Yeah. It's definitely going to be a tricky one. And so I'm headed West Haley. Do you have, do you have any holiday plans this week? What's I'm staying on? in Montana. I'm staying. I want okay. the cold. No, I good. actually, like we have so much snow, Alyssa, so much. It's amazing. Like it is just so fun. Um, I ran into like a childhood friend the other night at dinner and he was saying that he doesn't think it's been like this since the nineties. And it Whoa. is just like very fun. It's fun when it's not negative 33. Like, I don't even know if I know what that feels like, but, um, it, you do get a little bit acclimatized. And so I think, you know, it hit a little early and it was a little shocking at first, but now it is, um, you know, it's nice. I think it's really nice. And I just, you know, have to wear a lot of layers and, um, but it gives me reasons to like, be like, Ooh, do I need a new pair of gloves? And as long as my roof doesn't, you know, like we talk about things collapsing or leaking, as long as we don't get those kind of issues, I'm fine with it. But, um, and you know, cowboy loves it. Like there's so much snow and he's just like, has the best time out there. So, um, so far I'm okay. You know, talk to me in February. It might not feel the same way, but <laughs> right now I am definitely enjoying it. It feels very, holiday-esque, mm -hmm. like very holiday-esque. And I do feel like this has been my first like quote unquote off season in a while that I feel like, you know, I've really been able to take like downtime around the holidays. Cause I think in the past years, it's been just some weird years, I think for everyone. And there was like, you know, early Kona kind of issues or possibilities, or just, you know, even St. George happening in May last year. And I think that this year it's like, okay, I feel like I have a better grasp on how my 2023 season is going to play out or at least where I want to race and when, and I feel good about taking some downtime right now. So I'm like, oh, you know, let's just like lounge inside and look at the pretty snow and have another coffee. <laughs> I love it. I love it. When off season aligns with the holiday season, it definitely is the best. And Haley, we have a really good mailbag question that came in. That's kind of on theme. The second part at least is on theme. The first part is on theme for the world we live in at least. So we will, are you ready for this mailbag? Yeah, um, yeah. Let's hear it. This came from Sophia and she, her first question is if we have any experience recovering from COVID-19 as an elite athlete. So she's like a, she's a dedicated age grouper and she did get COVID a month ago. It was pretty bad. She was in the hospital for five days. She, um, has since been diagnosed with asthma coming out, um, of COVID and it's five weeks after, and she feels normal during the day, but training even in zone two is really hard and she, her heart rate's still really high. So she's looking for tips 
and kind of how to get back into training. And this is still a very applicable question, um, given that I feel like people definitely are still getting COVID a lot and still having to figure like navigate that recovery process. And one thing I can say for sure after I still have not gotten COVID Haley. So, um, knocking on wood here. (laughs) And so I can't speak from firsthand experience, but I think like 99% of my athletes have gotten COVID. So definitely. And I would say that each and every one of them has had a different path to navigate to recovery. Right. So some people did seem to bounce back pretty quick. Um, some people definitely not so much. So I think the biggest lesson I have learned from that is like, you have to be super patient when it's not coming back quick. Um, and, and honestly, even if you feel like it is coming back, still be patient. Um, but you just can't force it. Like you just have to take each day as it comes, I guess. And this is the season to be able to take things very, very easy and, you know, get outside with things that maybe you don't even consider exercise when it's on season, right? Like walks and hikes and things like that. But if that is what feels good and like what feels manageable, then just stick with that and it'll be fine. Like the tide will turn eventually, even if it turns in March. Right. Yeah. So. I, I have had COVID and I was not in the hospital for five days. And so I think it, like you mentioned, everyone's COVID experience, both with the illness and coming back from it is very different. And the one thing, like, I'm really fascinated by my own heart rate. <laughs> I think I'm the only one, only one in the world who is as fascinated by my heart rate as I am. And so I had a lot of data going into it of what my heart rate normally is. I had data like while I was sick and then also coming back out. And I, I liked watching that because it was fascinating in one respect, because I think Sophia mentioned that her heart rate is higher and that is, that is typical. And I respected that, you know, as a metric where I was like, okay, I, I know that usually when I ride at, you know, X number of Watts, it's this, and it's obviously a lot higher. So I'm going to dial back until it gets to where it normally is. And if I can't get it to where it normally is, then maybe I shouldn't be riding. And so, um, I mean, you can even look at it while you go for a walk, which might be where you need to start on a treadmill, you know, like going very, very, very easy. And if it is too much, you can, you just, you're done. You're right there. And so I think that I would say using that metric and like taking care of yourself and in that respect of just lots of rest good food, fluids. Um, and when you do start to add things back, which I would give yourself plenty of time, plenty of time. I mean, even right now, me perfectly healthy, I've done nothing, no exercise today. So you're not alone. It's, it's a good time of year to not be doing a whole lot and just letting your body really recover. And so I think that when you do come back, aim for lower targets, you know, like in anything you do, um, swim, bike, or run, you know, easier intervals than you normally would and have grace with yourself, you know, like, okay, this is where I am now. Like knowing I have been sick, like I don't need to be where I was and give yourself a lot of time. And I, you know, I had COVID last June and again, it, I was, you know, probably a milder case, but I did give myself plenty of time coming back. And I was letting myself, you know, have, just not expecting the same amount that I normally would. And I had all my best races after that. 
And so I think it can happen that way. Again, that's you know an example of one, but I have seen that also with some of my athletes, but I do think first you got to get yourself like fully healthy where like, hopefully, you know, going for, you know, going to the store does not exhaust you. If that is, then you probably shouldn't be doing any exercise, you know, and I've done, I do rides at 50 Watts and I love it. So, yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's no reason to rush anything and there's no reason to hit like your peak, you know, fitness levels. Yeah. And we talked a little bit before this Haley too, and you mentioned like the training indoors, right? So, cause Sophia lives in Sweden, which we will get into more with her second part of her question, but you know, that cold air is like, going to be really hard on your lungs. Um, so if you have access to a treadmill and, um, she said she hadn't been swimming yet, but you know, getting in the pool, like could be a good thing. Um, and just with the, the thought of like warmer air, moister air, right. To like help your lungs. Um, that was a really good point, Haley. I thought you made too with that. So and yeah, again, and you can just stop all kind of you, training indoors, right? Right. Exactly. Yeah, and if you feel bad, it's to, really easy to stop and yeah. go get, you know, a hot chocolate, take a hot shower and go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the second part of Sophia's question is, is it okay to store bikes in a cool place? Uh, she's thinking about like a garage and in Sweden at the moment, it's negative 10 degrees Celsius, which is 14 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, and so she's thinking about moving her trainer out to the garage to give her daughter space, more space in the house. That's nice. Um, and wear more clothes when she's riding. So, but she's curious if it's bad for the bike or the trainer. This was good. I thought about that. This was good because I know Haley, you have a garage. I have a barn where we keep a lot of our bike stuff. Um, and I think that we came to the conclusion that she should go for it. Right. Check for the, check the manufacturer, depending on what trainer you have, maybe check with the manufacturer about like temperatures, what they think. Yeah. And maybe even put a thermometer in your actual garage. Cause it's my garage is not as cold as like outside temps. And so it does get cold though. And so I, I do keep my bikes out there, my trainer out there all the time, but when I'm actually riding in the past, I, I mean, I love the cold and I was like, it's totally fine. But I, I actually found my feet were really cold even while riding. <laughs> and, um, and then I do think the calibration of power meters can be impacted by temperature. So I do think that can happen. So now what I will typically do is I have a, a small space heater that I do plug in and point at the bike, um, while I'm out there riding and I'll have a heater on me and a fan on me, which is, you know, not electrically friendly, but it's only for my ride. And I find that way, like I get better, you know, it does heat up kind of some of those fine electronics. And so I don't, I've never had an issue with them just sitting there. Um, any issues like that, but I have had issues if it's like, if there's a vast, a drastic temperature difference in the garage while I'm in there. So if it's like starts out really cold and then heats up because of body heat or something like that, that the calibration can, you know, you might need to recalibrate, but I think, um, again, I'll usually start the space heater a little bit earlier. And then while I'm like getting everything set up and then I'm usually pretty comfortable. So, um, but yeah, but it was, that was something I didn't think I need. And I'm so glad I did. Sophia, I hope you have a happy winter uh, training slowly as you come back from COVID definitely continue doing things kind of, you know, gently and be patient and have, as Haley said, have a lot of grace for yourself, but we keep us posted on how it all goes. And thanks for the mailbag question. Um, others can send in your mailbag questions, your own mailbag questions to ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com.
All right. Oh, we have a super fun and a little bit longer. This is like a longer episode for our, our listeners because this is, we are taking a two week break after this show. So just as an FYI, there will be Iron Woman podcasts the next two weeks, but they will be replays of some of our past favorite episodes. But today is all new. It is a really great chat with one of our favorites and the newly crowned Ultraman world champion for women. <laughs> <laughs> Ultraman woman, <laughs> ultra woman, not world champion. What should we call this? Ultra, I'm like ultra women's ultra women's man. Ultraman. Yes. World Let's champion. put the women for women's Ultraman world champion. I like that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Dee Dee Grease Bauer. So Dee Dee is joining us today. Dee Dee has been a guest on the show. We, we got more into her backstory. I think when we first interviewed her in the early days of the podcast in I think 2018, and then we, um, have since talked to her for several race preview shows. I think the, when in 2020, when the PTO had the big, uh, big, big money race at Daytona, she came on and we talked about that. We talked about before St. George this past year, you probably are recognize her as a commentator. You, you, Alyssa, plus all of our <laughs> listeners, you, that was a very extensive you. Um, but if anyone's watched the, uh, Ironman coverage, Didi's a frequent commentator and, and our favorite. So, um, one of our favorites. So anyway, here is our great conversation with Didi right after the break. Didi, you are an Iron Women podcast original. Welcome back. We're so excited. Regular, to regular yeah, now. Too- I feel like she, we have her <laughs> on all the time. This is originally a regular. This is my, I think this is my third time. I don't even remember the first. I know we did, we did a women's race Ironman World Championship preview. And then this one, I think this is my third. We this interviewed is the, you. This is the trifecta. You oh, didn't interview no. me. On like New Year's day, I think, or New Year's Eve. I remember you like, it was like, I'm like, are you okay scheduling this on like New Year's Eve or New Year's day? And you're like, oh, that totally would have been fine. (laughs) (laughs) So much has not changed. (laughs) So Didi, we're talking to you here just, uh, like, I don't know, two-ish weeks, right? After your win at the Ultraman world championships. And you were mentioning that it was today your first attempt at going for a jog since the race, or have you jogged already? I, so I ran on the lever. So you guys know the lever, the body assist, weight assistance, um, contraption that you put on the treadmill. It's like the poor man's alter G. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful tool. Uh, hashtag not sponsored, but it is a great tool. Um, I ran on the lever last week, a couple, a few times, um, it actually felt really good. And then this week I was like, okay, moving up to full body weight, I'm just going to like, I'm going to run 20 minutes every day just to sort of get the feel back and get like everything moving again. And literally at the end of 20 minutes, I had to take a knee and was like, it was, (laughs) I don't know where it all goes in such a hurry, but yes, I mean, it felt amazing to run and thankfully my body feels good. It's just it's just hard to reboot after an effort like that in two weeks of rest. So yeah, we're, we're in that stage that pretty much everyone's in it's off season. That's how it should feel. I I know I was, I was saying before we started recording that I did not do Ultraman. I, um, I did a much shorter race in Daytona and I too struggled and took a knee in my last <laughs> most recent run. So we're all there. We're all there right with you. Uh, but but Dee, okay, let's talk about these races because you qualified for Ultraman World Championships, but you qualified way back in 2020, Florida, Ultraman Florida in 2020. 
And the world was like a very different place in February, 2020 than it is like now. So what is it like, you know, just what, can you tell us about the thought process between behind like qualifying that far in advance and then how you manage the time in the like two plus years in between? Yeah. So the plan in 2020 was to qualify at Ultraman Florida, which was in February. It was like over Valentine's Day weekend. Cause I remember there was a big like heart theme and all of the, I don't know, crew socials, like they had to make little hearts or something. So it was Valentine's Day-ish weekend in February. And the plan was to sort of recover, maybe do an Ironman, but probably just do a couple of 70.3s and then really focus on Ultraman Worlds that November. But we got home from Ultraman Florida and two weeks later, the world ended. <laughs> so to speak. Um, we were locked down uh, and things were very, very different. And then in 2021, um, we thought the race was going to happen. And I had started to make plans. I had accommodations booked because, you know, that with Ultraman Hawaii or the world championship takes place on the big island of Hawaii. But unlike Ultraman Florida, where we started and finished at the same place every day. So we went back to the same Airbnb each night. We were in a different place every night of the race because night one, um, we finished up in Volcano. So we had an Airbnb in Volcano and then we put everything into the crew van. And then day, day night two, we spent the night uh, sort of halfway between Javi and Waimea because day two ends in Javi and day three begins in Javi. So it, it was, I had all my accommodations booked for 2021 and was ready to go and had just started my sort of Ultraman specific training block. And in August, they, they pulled the plug on the race saying it's still, I was kind of bummed about that because ultimately Xterra ended up happening on Maui. So I was like, we're smaller than Xterra. Certainly they could have put protocols in place. Like the field is small enough that we could have rapid tested every morning, everybody in their crew. Like I felt like it could have happened last year, but it didn't, they, they didn't get the permits for it. Um, and so we waited another year. Um, but honestly, all of that waiting ended up being a huge blessing because I can honestly say I have never in my life gone into a race so prepared and so ready to race. And I think waiting that long, we had just, factored in almost every possible scenario had my nutrition so much better dialed than it would have been a year prior to that. Um, there were so many things that I learned during that two-year wait um, that it ended up being just a huge blessing, I think, in disguise. Did you ever waver like mentally? Because like I imagine, especially with the false start, right, in 2021, like getting yourself mentally prepped to go into a block to train for something that big is like, it's tough to do. Like you got to be ready to enter that kind of, or at least I would be, if I was like doing that, are you just always living in that ready to be in that big block moment? Or was it like, you know, cause I feel like, and then it's taken away and you kind of had been psyched to do it and you still like, it's a disappointment process, right? Like how did you handle the mental side of it? Um, honestly, I have learned over time that for whatever twisted reason, physiologically speaking, I do get better as the distance goes longer. So I was insanely excited for this race. So getting started, like, yeah, it was a bummer to sort of have the false starts, but it was never a question of if I was going to do it. And, and the, the sort of the seed was planted for this race 
almost 10 years ago. So it's been a long time coming that it's sort of been like festering in the back of my little brain. Um, just kind of like every once in a while poking its head up and being like, hi, remember me? Yeah, we're going to do that race one day. Okay, back to regular scheduled programming. Until I finally mustered up the courage to, to enter Ultraman Florida at the end of 2019 going into 2020. Um, I've just been excited for this adventure. I've been sort of salivating at the opportunity to do Ultraman on the big island. And, and it was the, the concept, as you guys well know, having been to Hawaii a number of times, you know that stretch of road from Javi to Kona. You know it like the back of your hand. You've ridden it dozens of times in training, maybe training camps. You've raced it. You know what it's all about. The idea of running that was what just sort of made my jaw hit the floor the first time I heard of this race from our very collective good friend, Hilary Biscay. I was like, wait a minute, you run from Javi? And I just couldn't wrap my head around it. And so I just, I, it was one of those things I had to try. And so, yeah, I have been sort of chomping at the bit to get to do this race. And for a long time, it didn't fit. And then I wasn't really kind of healthy enough physically to do it. I had been struggling with injury on and off for a long period of time. And it just took me a while to get my proverbial stuff together <laughs> to do it. So it wasn't hard at all. I've just been excited and, and it fit sort of like a glove. So can you tell us a little bit about the training leading up to Ultraman Hawaii? Because we watched you have these incredible races. I think in Augusta, you had by far the fastest bike split. I mean, this is a 70.3, 56 miles, a very short race for you. And I think you finished fourth in that race. Is that right? Um, yeah. Incredible racing at 70.3 distance against, you know, with competition that uh, women who specialize at that distance and you're yeah. holding your own while training for Ultraman. So what was this training like? I think we discovered something like it's honestly, you know, it's the, it's the buzzword. It's the, the zone two training, right? I was doing gobs of it and even had a laugh with Julie the day before the race in Augusta. I was like, I am, I am not at all prepared for this. And she's like, I'm glad you said it. Cause I was going to, and we had a good laugh about it. And I really went into Augusta being like, okay, what I can do here today is like Ultraman is about just managing discomfort, like being incredibly uncomfortable for three straight days and finding a way to keep going. So I was like, so if you can't do it for four hours in Augusta, like you have no business even doing Ultraman. So I just looked at it as, look, put yourself in an uncomfortable spot, like, you know, where you're pushing as hard as you can and it feels dreadful and it feels uncomfortable and just get used to it. Cause you're gonna have to get used to it at a different pace for Ultraman. And I went to, into it with very, very low expectations. I had a dreadful swim and I got on the bike and the first couple of miles, I was like, oh, my legs hurt. And then all of a sudden my legs sort of came around and I was looking down at my power meter. I'm like, oh, that's a little rich. But I was kind of like, maybe this is one of those times I'm supposed to, you know, I don't know, make hay while the sun is shining. And I just went for it and ended up having, I think I held the best power I've ever held in my life in a 70.3. And in like, I just... I didn't feel very prepared, but I think Julie was kind of shaking her head being like, you're so ridiculously fit. Like you, like you could do anything right now. You're so fit. And, and I think that just showed in Augusta. And I also went in with a completely laid back attitude, which I was also a lesson for me that take it down a notch, Judy. Sometimes it works out better that way. <laughs> was including races like Augusta is the thought, was it just for that mental like discomfort part or was it to break up training um, or just to like be at a race and see people? Because when you're training for Ultraman, I imagine it's quite lonely. 
Yeah, it was it was kind of all of those things. It, it mostly was to break up the training because I had raced, I think, Lake Placid at the end of July. I took a little like mid-season pause. Um, we went on holiday to Cape Cod and then came back home. And by the beginning of August, Julie was like, if you try to Ultraman train from now until the no end of November, she's like, you'll die. <laughs> so while I don't relish the 70.3 distance for reasons, you know, that I'm a good at Ultraman, not 70.3, I was not <laughs> specifically prepared for it. Like, but we did it as a, a sort of pause in the Ultraman training, just to give me a chance to come up for air. Um, and have a good hard effort, get a little bit of a fitness boost from the race and then come back, do a little recovery and then go straight back into straight back into training for Ultraman. So it really was as much a pause in the training and just sort of a mental break from the sort of the long stuff that, um, yeah, it served its purpose and it was timed really well. And it was relatively speaking an easy trip and yeah, I had fun in Augusta. It was my birthday, which was weird. Um, but yeah, it was kind of fun. <laughs> And then after Augusta, you would have had about eight weeks, right? Of like, probably it sounds like the proper Ultraman build, right? That you were expecting. So was there, I'm curious, like, was there ever a day of training you were super scared for? Was there any day you woke up and were like, I don't know if I'll make it through this? Um, yeah. Like, can you tell us about any of the, the stuff you've made it through? Yeah, we, um, we prepared we tried to be as specific with our training as what we were going to encounter in the race. And I had made the investment um, and it was a significant investment. Um, I actually went out to Hawaii by myself for 10 or 12 days at the beginning of September before Augusta and had done a big training block on the course. Again, we're all so familiar with the Ironman race course there, but on the bike, Ultraman is really everything but the Ironman course. And so I didn't know any of those roads. I had never biked on any of those roads. I had never even been to Volcano. I mean, I'd been to Hawaii, I don't know, 15, 20 times and actually never been to Volcano um, or Hilo or like any of these places that I was like, I need to get out more. Um, but I spent that 12 days really exploring the island and studying the course a little bit um, so that when I came back after Augusta, we could sort of tailor the training and the topography. Like for example, after that trip, I did a lot, almost all of my long runs I did on highway 36 here in Boulder. And for anybody that knows it, it's sort of a not flat, flat highway. Uh, it's, it's literally a highway. Cars are going 50 to 60 miles an hour. There is a nice wide shoulder, but you're fully exposed to wind to sort of the gusts from the trucks and the traffic. And I was like, if anybody can show me a road that is more specifically exactly the same as the Queen K Highway, I, I dare you. And so I did a lot of my long runs on that road because it was topographically just sort of those rolling hills, nothing super steep, but kind of grindy when you're tired. Um, every day on the bike, um, finished in Ultraman with a pretty long climb. There was like a I guess 17 mile, actually, no, longer than that. I forget. The climb up to Volcano was pretty long. And then day two, the bike course, we finish, we descend from Waimea down to Kwai High and then finish with the climb up to Javi, like we do in the Ironman race course. So every day finished with climbing. So when I did my sort of my Uber long rides, my seven and a half, eight hour rides, we tried to replicate that. And obviously I had to get down from the top of the hills <laughs> in training. So it wasn't exact, but 
um, we tried to finish all my long rides with a, a big long climb to see what was sort of left in the tank and testing the nutrition, et cetera. So we tried to set it up as specifically, but yeah, going into a three-day block on the weekends and looking at a sort of four to five hour ride on Friday, an eight hour ride on Saturday. And then we didn't do a lot of super long running, but we sort of cheated the run mileage a little bit using the lever. Um, I did a lot of eccentric work. I did a lot of hiking. Um, like Alyssa, as you probably know, when you're getting ready to run for 24 hours, you don't actually go out and run for 23 right. and a half in training. You're just doing maybe more gym work and maybe eccentric loading to just make your body strong and prepared for the effort. And, and so I didn't do any crazy long runs, but looking, you know, staring down, being on my legs in some combination for five hours after a five hour ride, an eight hour ride. And then on Sunday, I, I would have big eyes, like my eyes would get pretty big when I opened training peaks and was like, oh boy. But honestly, it was only sort of two or three weekends that were super specific like that. And the rest of it was dosed. I mean, Julie, my biggest, like one of the things I was most nervous about going into Ultraman in Hawaii, Julie now has a perfect coaching record across Ultraman. So she coached Jordan Bryden to Ultraman uh, Canada and then coached him to win Ultraman Worlds in 2019. She coached me to my win in Florida. And I was like, I don't want to stuff up her perfect coach, perfect coaching record, but she has it nailed. Like she's got it dialed. She knows what's going on. And I just felt, I felt really, really prepared between my trip out there and then the training that we did. Um, but I thrive on that. Like I, throughout my career, even when I was coached by Karen Smyers way back in the day, Karen, like Karen thrived on the intensity. Like she would just you know, do a track workout. I would prefer a two hour long run. She would want to do the Thursday night time trial, like this brutal 15 K time trial in Concord, Massachusetts every Thursday night. And I was like, can't we just ride for five hours instead? <laughs> I have just always craved sort of that longer, slower pace. And so I actually, it's my happy place. It's, it's where I'm comfortable. Just don't make me, don't make me ride at FTP. Ick. I can't do it. <laughs> Didi, we had talked to several, several women like leading into this race, because after I think Ultraman Canada, especially there were like four women in the top five at that race. And it felt like this, this Ultraman world champs could just really showcase the women's racing. Yeah. So I was curious from your perspective, were you paying attention to that, to the competition as, as it kind of shook out who would be in Hawaii this year? No, not at all. No, of course I totally was. It was it was the best field they've ever had, both men and women, like in terms of the depth of fields, which sounds crazy, but it was true. I mean, about a year and a half ago, um, four-time world champion Leander Cave made the declaration that I want to win my fifth world title and I'm going to do it at Ultraman Worlds. And I thought, okay, here we go. Um, and there's a bit of nerve that, that come with going toe-to-toe -to -toe against a four-time world champion. She's won at every single distance that multi-sport has to offer. And I, you know, if we're going to play resume bingo, like I just can't compete. Like I'm, I am none of those things, but I just decided like it motivated me for sure in training. Like every day I got up and I was like, you have someone super talented that you have to try to beat. So it was a huge motivation for me day in and day out in training. Um, and then, um, Antonina Resnikoff um, had gone into Ultraman Florida as her qualifier earlier this year, 
declaring that she wanted to break my world record. So I, I certainly was trying not to obsess, but was sort of obsessing, like checking in on the results each day to see if she could do it. I knew she was a hugely talented runner. I felt pretty comfortable swimming bike against her, but I knew if I didn't do the job on day three, she was there. And then Tara Norton, who's won Ultraman twice. I'm like, these women are tough. And, and Tara had more experience than any of us going into the event. So yeah, it had my attention, but just like we say in Ironman, you can't necessarily pay attention to what everyone else is doing. You really, I really tried to keep the focus on stringing together my three best days. Um, and I thought if I did that, I could potentially come away with a win. So we're going to kind of get closer to the, your time on the, the big island now. So things are shaping up. You gather your crew because we know any like major endurance feat like this doesn't happen without putting together a dream team. So take us through who was on your crew for this. Yes, my dream team. And I will say like, I've had other Ultraman athletes reach out to me and ask if I would rent my crew <laughs> to them for future Ultraman competitions. Um, and the answer is perhaps, but the, the price tag better be right. Um, <laughs> I had, I did, I had a dream team and you have to, again, Alyssa, as you well know, um, when you can no longer think and fend for yourself out there because of exhaustion and sort of delirium, they become your heart and mind and make decisions for you and really pull you through um, the endeavor. So I chose people that I thought would take the event as seriously as I was. Um, I chose people that knew me very well, could sort of read my facial expressions. <laughs> Um, and, and sort of read moods and know how to respond accordingly. So uh, my crew was my husband, Dave, uh, my coach, Julie Dibbins, uh, my strength coach, Kate Ligler, my training partner, Laura Siddle, and my massage therapist, um, Sophie Evans. And then my paddler, I had, it had been recommended that finding someone with local shore knowledge, like local ocean knowledge was super helpful because they know where the reefs are, they know how the currents play, et cetera, et cetera. So Julie had paddled for me in Florida. And even like before we got out of the water, she's like looking it down at me and saying, never again, I am never doing this again. <laughs> um, we, a storm front ended up blowing through and half the kayakers capsized. And I mean, it, it was, it was terrible. Like Julie was just like, you're on your own next time. Like, no, I'm not doing this again. <laughs> so I knew I had to find another paddler and I had actually reached out to Rock Fry and Heather Fewer. Um, they were both working for Ironman and living in Hawaii uh, when we thought the race was going to happen in 2021. And I knew like as hobbyists, they did a lot of paddling. Um, and so I reached out to Rock and I was like, I just kind of wanted to be out there with somebody I knew. If, if I pitched a fit or like had a panic attack, I just wanted someone that wasn't going to look at me like, I don't even know you. I don't know what to do in this scenario. Like, and so Rock had agreed to do it in 2021, but fast forward 2022, they actually moved back to the mainland uh, mid-November and weren't going to be there. So Rock introduced me to a friend of his, um, a guy that I stalked on the internet a little bit. Um, he literally is Captain Gabe. So he's a general contractor, but he also has worked as both a sport and commercial boat fisherman. Um, he sold some, bought and sold some fishing businesses over his life. And so he also paddles with rock. And so I went to meet him about a week before the race, just again, to try to get to know him just a little bit. And immediately, like his vibe was so, he was so calm. He was just so chill. 
And we were talking about the race and he's like, so what time does it start? And I told him, and he's like, and you go from the pier down to Cahoe? And I was like, yes, that's right. He's like, well, I've been studying the, the swell charts. And I think that if it's like a 17 degree swell, I'll go this way. But if it's more than 20, and I was like, dude, I have no idea what you're talking about, but you can stop right there. Like, if you know the differences between 17 and 20 degrees of swell, I don't even know what that means. And because I was asking, I was like, so high tide is it six something? And he's like, the tides don't matter. He's like, we're watching the swell and the winds. And I was like, okay, I'm just, you paddle, I'll follow. And again, race morning, we threw the kitchen sink at him. I neglected to mention to him, like we had to pin a bib number on him and he was on a prone board. So he's like, I can't really pin that to my chest because that's going to hurt a little. <laughs> so we ended up pinning it to his hat. And then I had my, I had my nutrition. So I had two bottles that I gave him. I had a spare pair of goggles and my EpiPen and my crew was like, by the way, are you going to bring a phone? So you can maybe text us and update us while she's swimming. <laughs> he's looking at us and you could sort of see, he's like got this pair of goggles in his hands and he's trying to figure out, can I tuck this into my shorts? He's like, she kind of maybe needs this Epi. He's like, he looks at me. He's like, do you know how to use this EpiPen? And I was like, in dire straits, I guess so. Like I've never had to, but <laughs> It was, it was, and he just took it all in stride um, and was absolutely fan. He was so calm. And even when we started with the South swell and it was so glorious, like you just were riding the swell and it felt so good until it didn't. Um, and I had been counting feeds and I could have sworn we were like two hours into the race. And at one feed I rolled over and I was like, how are we doing? He's like, oh, he's like, you're, you're kicking ass. He's like, we're over halfway. I was like, halfway. Oh. I was like, I could have sworn we were almost there. Oh. And then I was too embarrassed to ask like, how much further is it? Cause I was like, I was getting tired. Um, the swim in retrospect was probably the hardest part of the race for me. Minus the last eight miles were pretty tough running. Absolutely. But the swim overall was the, the biggest challenge I had. The wind shifted and we had quite a bit of chop and it honest to God felt endless in there to me, but Gabe was amazing. So Gabe was my paddler. That's my crew. <laughs> yeah. What a crew. And we want to walk through all these days and that swim, you just gave us such a good, good recap of the swim. Were you keeping track of what place or was captain Gabe keeping track of what place you were in? Did you know when you even overall did, when you came in to Cahoe after the swim, like were, was that on your mind at all? Or was it just like, oh my goodness, I'm so glad to get out of that water. And thank goodness. I, I assume you did not, you need to use the EpiPen. No, no jellyfish stings. No jellyfish. And I didn't even know if it would work with the jellyfish sting. I don't even know if I'm allergic to jellyfish. I know I'm allergic to bees. So I do carry it with me when I ride because I am allergic to bees. Um, but a jellyfish, I was like, I don't know, but I guess it's a possibility. I don't know if there's like a parallel, if you're allergic to one, then there's a possibility that you're allergic to the other. But I thought, you know, it's little enough safety first. Like, I don't want to die doing this. So yeah, I brought the EpiPen, um, didn't need it. Um, no sharks, no, I had two little teeny stings, like the ones that you're like, oh, that kind of hurts. And I want to stop and itch it, but I can't, I have to keep swimming, but it, it wasn't, it was fine. Other than like the chop and the wind. It Did was... you get seasick swimming? When I, no. so Hillary has made me do that swim and I got really seasick doing it. I was lucky. I was ready to get out of the water, but I didn't feel seasick. I, I can like on a boat, 
like if I'm on a ferry and I'm inside, I will get seasick like in 20 minutes. Um, but for whatever reason, if I'm like actually on a boat, like a fishing boat, or I, I can see the shoreline, if I'm in the water, it doesn't seem to affect mm-hmm. me. So luckily I did not get seasick. Um, and actually my stomach felt good and was able to start sort of knocking down the calories as soon as I got out of the water. So yeah, I mean, all things considered, it was good, but it was one heck of a swim. I, I didn't know where anybody else was. Um, I wanted to go out pretty hard because I, I didn't want anyone to try to sit on my feet. <laughs> I wanted uh, to, to be get... ha- Captain Gabe. You also need to get, kick <laughs> anyone in the face if they are sitting too close to my feet. <laughs> well, we tried, there is no drafting allowed in the swim. Oh, really? And, yeah. There's no drafting allowed at any point in the race. And so, um, I had sort of asked the question during the race briefing. I was like, and no drafting allowed in any of the three disciplines, correct? <laughs> because I didn't want anyone to try to get on my feet. Um, and we had sort of tried to coach Gabe up like, hey, if anyone's sitting on my feet, he's like, what do you want me to do? I'm like, I don't know, beat him in the head. I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, just try to take a different line and get me away from them, so to speak. But again, he was sort of wide-eyed like, what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> he was great though. Um, So I knew at about 4K, I passed somebody. And then at about 7K, somebody else passed me. And when the person passed me at 7K, they were, we were so far out to shore that I always breathed to the right. And Julie's like, every once in a while, just breathe to your left so you can see the shoreline and sort of see the landmarks as you go. We were so far out to sea. I was like, I can't see anything. I'm like, it's so far away. I can't see anything. I'm like, are we in Maui? Like, where are we? Um, I, I couldn't see a thing. But when the person passed me, they were even further out to sea. But I think what they did was they actually, we did a great job of catching that south swell while it was helpful. But the, once the wind shifted, we were so far out that we were sort of almost more vulnerable to the chop when it picked up. So when the wind shifted, he tried to bring me a little bit closer to shore. I, I had no concept. I saw a couple of people in Keoho Bay as we were getting closer to the, to the finish line, but no concept of time. Like I literally felt like, I mean, I could have come out of the water and Julie could have said, you swam four and a half hours. And I would have been like, that felt about right. I got out of the water and I just looked at her. I was like, that was a bloody long way. She said, you said the same thing last time. <laughs> 10K open water is a long, long way. Um, I was a lot slower. I was hoping to be in and around two and a half hours for my swim. And I ended up being two hours, 49 minutes. Um, But I was the first woman out and my crew waited behind in transition just to be able to get me a split on the lay of the land of the women that were behind me. I mean, they didn't wait a ridiculously long time, but they wanted to see where the next woman was before they came out and caught back up and started leapfrogging just to get some information. And they were catching you on your 144.8 kilometer bike for that day, um, where you do, you ride up to Volcano National Park. Um, so, and you said you had never been there minus your training camp, right? Out to, to explore that area. So yep. I also, I think I remember from watching the Instagram coverage of the day that you ended up in the later stages of that ride, pretty close to the lead male. Um, and so, you know, how did that work out? How did that dynamic, when did it kind of play out? Like, did you guys know you were that close to, I mean, I think with crews, 
you do usually know who's around because you get to see the other crews leapfrogging you as well. Exactly. Right. Yep. So yep. how did that kind of play out through the day? Honestly, so it was Rob Gray. Um, there was a third guy, and I am Barry Berg led the swim. Barry Berg was first out of the water, and we passed him very quickly um, as soon as we got on the bike. Um, Rob was slightly behind me coming out of transition, but very quickly went past me. Um, and so we went past Barry Berg, and Rob and I were somewhat together. Like Rob was way better than me on the descent. So even the little descent from um, where the, it's not, it's the outrigger now, sort of down um, on the bypass road before you start the climb, there's just a little from cam three down to the start of the climb up the bypass road, there's a little downhill. It's like a mile. He went so fast, fast by me in that section. And I was like, okay, well, he's gone. Don't worry about it. But then I would catch him on the climbs. He's a bigger guy. Like he's strong, but he's a bigger guy. And so I think on a Watts per kilogram basis on the uphills, I just sort of had the upper hand and I went past him on the climb up to Captain Cook. And then we were back and forth a little bit on some of the rollers. Uh, and as we got closer to ocean view, I hadn't seen him for a while. I still knew he was there because I was seeing his crew, but he was behind me. And as you approach South Point, there's a long descent. It's probably 10 or 15 miles of descending. So you go from like 3000 feet all the way back down to sea level before you start the, the last climb, which is like almost 30 miles up until Volcano. On that descending section, he came flying past me. And I just, I didn't even try because I was like safety first. I'm not a confident descender. I just wanted to bike my own pace. I wasn't racing Rob, so it didn't really matter. It was nice to have company out there, but I had been ahead of him for probably at least 90 minutes at that point. And then he went by and I had anticipated not seeing him again. But during that long climb up to Volcano, I started to be able to sort of spot him. And there were some long straightaways and I could see them. And I just kept telling myself, like I had very specific power targets, mindful of my best three days. Don't leave your run on day one of the bike. Don't do anything stupid. So I was not thinking about Rob at all, but he was a nice little carrot to try to key off of. And by the end, probably the last four or five miles, I had basically caught him. And I thought I could go by him, but there's no point. <laughs> So I, I really just wanted to hold my power and get off the bike. So I think I ended up the day like 12 seconds behind him. Um, but for a lot of the chunky part in the middle, I couldn't see him at all because he was either way behind me or way in front of me. And so it wasn't really until the last, I'll say 10 miles that I could see him and the last five miles that we were really even in the same within like 30 seconds of one another. I know that power is like very relative, but I am really curious. Can you share what your power targets are for like, so, I mean, you, cause you held, but like, it was like 19 miles an hour that day. Right. So, I mean, you're moving fast. It was like, I think Alyssa said 144 kilometers and uh, which is about 90 miles coming off of a two hour, 49 minute swim. Sure. Like yeah. what, like, I am just curious. Are you, are you, you don't have to, if you don't want to share, you don't have to share. We had, honestly, we had power targets for steep climbs, not to supersede. And so on the steep climbs, I was sort of limited to sort of 90% sort of sweet spot type efforts. Um, gradual climbs were more like Ironman race pace. And then we didn't really have a power target for the flats. And we certainly didn't have 
any kind of mandates for the downhills. She was just like, ride with confidence, ride within yourself on the descents, stay upright, stay healthy, do smart things. Um, and then I had, I, I had an overall normalized power that I was targeting um, that was actually ended up being, I was a little bit higher than what we thought um, and a little bit below sort of Ironman race pace on the day. And actually I was, uh, my power was higher on day two. Oops. You were um, faster on day two, I think, right? Cause yeah. I think, I, I mean, I know that the course is very relative. Like you mentioned climb up to volcano. So obviously speed is always not, not always the best metric, but, but that yeah, day two, 170 miles. And I think you, you averaged like 21.4 miles per hour or something, right? Yeah. So day two starts with like a 17 mile descent from volcano back down to the coastline on the other side of the island. And then we take a right turn and bike along the red road, which if you've never been, I had never been, it is stunningly beautiful. Um, it's like a little roller coaster. It's like up and down and it's back and forth. And we did it in the car and I was like, this is a little scary. And Sid was like, this is amazing. <laughs> um, it, it was a fun bit of road. And then you have a pretty steep climb out from the red road back to the highway um, and then it really, once you get to Hilo, it, you climb, the climb up to Waimea was a long grinding climb. That was a, that was a tough climb. Um, I think day two had somewhere in the high 9,000s in terms of feet of elevation gain. But again, that's across a hundred and what it ended up being 174 miles because there were some road closures in Hilo we had to navigate. Um, so day two ended up being 174 miles. Um, and then when we got to Waimea, I made a quick pit stop because um, my rear flashing light was dying and you have to have a functioning rear light. It's one of the, they'll disqualify you if you don't. So they swapped out my light and Julie said, she's like, when you get to Kauai High, she's like, you can ride to Javi as hard as you want. And I was like, zoinks. I was like, Julie never says that. <laughs> so I took it as sort of a little bit of a mission and I dosed up on caffeine and I, I'm not gonna lie, I wanted the day two bike course record. Um, that being said, I wasn't entirely sure what it was. <laughs> I just knew I wanted it. Um, and then I got to 171.2 miles and I was nowhere near Javi. And I was like, wait a minute, what's happening? <laughs> and it's actually two miles through Javi. So I get in, like I get up, you know, you, you always go up that one roller where you think you're at Javi and it's not the right roller. It's the next one. <laughs> And so I got to the one I thought I was there and then I wasn't there and I was like, oh, darn it. And so then I got to the next one. I was like, okay, there's Javi, but it was two miles through the town. So you go past the turnaround in the Ironman course and you keep going. And it felt like just a really long way. And I was like, did I miss it? What is happening? And I finally saw the finish line and yeah, it was 174 miles. Luckily, in spite of the extra mileage, I did still get the bike course record until I found out I had sort of um, had hesitated on a stop sign. I didn't see it, to be honest. And someone yelled, stop. And by the time I stopped, unclipped and put my foot down, my wheel was beyond the white line of the stop sign. So I ended up getting a six minute penalty. So then I was bummed because had the course actually been the 171.2 miles, even with the six minute penalty, I still would have had the bike course record. However, um, with the extra mileage and the six minutes, I missed the day two bike course record, which I'm just going to wear like a hair shirt for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> I think that just gets to be a good story to come out of it all. And you'll get to tell people that the whole like rigmarole of it all. And in the process, we'll all then know that 
uh, you, you, you basically have the record in our minds. <laughs> you know, you can't get, you can't, you don't get everything you want. I got enough out of the race that I'm just going to try to let it go, but I'm not going to lie. It just still, it does still bug me a little bit. <laughs> and so that leads us to day three, the double marathon on the nice road from Javi back to, um, town in Kailua Kona. They have you at the old airport still for the finish line. Is that yep. correct? Okay. Yes. Yeah. And so, I mean, take us through like your game plan with that. Was your goal to like be as consistent as you could through the day? Were you kind of, did you have pace goals for the run? It sounds like you had some approximate goals on the bike. So yeah. So from, from the start of this day three was like the 4,000 pound gorilla sitting on my shoulders. Like this was, this was going to be it. Um, if I was going to win this race, day three had to go the right way. And there was a very strong possibility that it was not. Um, I am not our sport's most accomplished runner. But what Julie and I have decided is that while I am not a very good fast runner, I'm an excellent slow runner. So I've been hanging my hat on that for quite some time now that while I'm not a very good runner, I am an excellent slow runner. As evidenced by the fact that actually I went through the first marathon and I know like this is not, I shouldn't be proud of this, but I am in three hours 40, which honestly, I've had some Ironman marathons that are not that much faster than that. And I have to like bang my head against the wall and be like, what am I doing wrong in Ironman? But that's a different problem. We, we started the day with very strict pace targets and heart rate targets. So I was to keep the pace no faster than I think eight and a half minutes. Um, and as you know, coming down from Javi, there's a lot of downhill sections and it's easy to roll those downhill sections pretty fast. And I think honestly, and through that section, I did have one mile that was like 811, but for the most part, I was in and around sort of 815, 820, which still was a bit fast, but my heart rate was nice and low. And then for the hills, I had a maximum heart rate not to supersede no matter what the pace. So no matter how slowly you're going, do not let your heart rate go over, you know, 150 or whatever it was. And I started the run and it's funny, I had practiced this mentally quite a few times um, because I didn't want to, I knew that the entire field was going to run away from me at the start of the run. But in retrospect, I practice for that every single day in training because I am the slowest runner on my squad. And anytime we start a run workout, like we're going off to like warm up and everyone's like 200 yards in front of me by the time we finish like the first quarter mile. And I was like, where's everybody going? Um, so I'm used to it. And so when the race started, I was like, it's just like every day in training, like let them run away. They, they can go, you have your plan. I had a two hour and six minute lead on the second place female going into day three. And most people would like feel comfortable with that and like start high-fiving and saying, yeah, we won this thing, but I still was not convinced. Um, Antonina Resnikoff is a very good runner. Leanda is a great runner. Leanda was a bit further behind. Tara, again, has run very, very well in this course. And there's the absolute possibility that you're going to have some sort of complete physical failure and get scraped off the pavement, um, you know, somewhere out there. So I was just very cognizant of, you know, listening to my crew, keeping up my fueling, monitoring the paces and the heart rates. And then I just had it in my mind because I felt really good. Like I felt really controlled. Like I was holding back, holding back, holding back. 
And I just said to myself, okay, let's make it feel as good as it can for as long as it can, regardless of the pace. So if you need to slow down to make it feel really good still, then slow down so that it just still feels really, really good. I stopped looking at the pace probably around 30 miles. I just stopped looking at the splits as they updated on my watch. Cause I just, honestly, it was irrelevant at that point. It was about getting the fuel in, fueling in and, and keeping moving forward. And at one point, Rob Gray, unfortunately, was taken out of the race on day two. Uh, he hit a, a rock or a patch of gravel and, and crashed um, pretty badly lost. I mean, he's fine. He didn't break anything, luckily, but he lost a bunch of skin and wasn't able to continue on. And he was he was great. He came out onto the course on day three and I saw him a couple of times. He was cheering for the athletes, sort of leapfrogging everybody at the at the front. And I said to him at one point, and I think he was sort of a little taken back. Number one, that I had the clarity of thought still at that point in the race. And number two, I guess it was sort of a strange question, but I asked him, I was like, when's it going to start to suck? <laughs> and he kind of was like, what? And I was like, when's it going to start to suck? And he's like, make it feel easy until scenic point. And I was like, okay, gotcha. Scenic point. That's my goal. So I really just set about to make it feel easy and controlled until I got to scenic point. And I will say I, I sort of accomplished that. Um, I felt really bad. My husband came out to pace me on the climb up to scenic point. Why they put him out there? Like he, God bless him. So he's running with two full bottles and we're running up this hill. And I look over at him and like, all I could hear is him like panting. And I was like, maybe Sid should run this bit. I don't know. I felt really bad for him because it was hard. Um, but we ran, we got up to scenic point and I was still feeling good. And then we got to the four seasons and somewhere between the four seasons and the butt crack, which is only about two or three miles, um, it started to get really hard. And then from the butt crack to the airport was, it was dragging. And then the airport to the finish line was like, everybody was pulling out all the stops. Like when Sophie was pacing me, she literally was singing like 80s pop hits to keep my spirits up. Sid, who was told not to say anything at all, because I'm not, I'm used to running alone. So I don't talk when I run and I just didn't want to have to answer anybody. But Sid's chatter, which in the beginning, she had been told to keep to a minimum. I was like, Sid, just please keep talking. I'm like, I don't care what you say, but just keep talking. <laughs> and I think she was getting nervous. And so she was just a little chatterbox, which again, just sort of was a really good distraction for me. Um, and then you hit the stoplights as you come back into town and you have to stop at the red lights and starting running again after all of that was the most, that was the worst part. Like I wanted to walk because walking felt so glorious, but starting to run felt so wretched that the last thing I wanted to do was to stop at a red light. Yeah. The last eight miles were, I was, I was in a pretty dark place. Gabe came out to cheer in the last probably 10 K. And when I saw him at first, I didn't kind of recognize him. And I was like, Oh, that's Gabe. And I smiled for the first time in like three hours. And that was a, that was a big lift to my spirits. Um, and then we got into the parking lot. So you get down to the bottom of Macaulay, you turn right to go to the old airport. And then they sort of point you to the left and we get into this vast parking lot and Sid's like, I don't know where to go. <laughs> Literally, and you can't hear the finish line at that point. And it's a small event. So it's not like there's that many people, but literally we're looking all around. And I was like, what do you mean? You do? I'm like, do, are we lost? Where, where's the finish line? She's like, we'll just keep running this way. She's like, we'll find it, we'll find it. And we took like 10 more steps and you could see it sort of off into the left, but like for a very small moment, 
once we had made the turn off Macaulay, she's like, okay, we've done it. You're there. Like time to let it, like, let it flow. Like all the emotion, let it out. And all of a sudden we get into the parking lot. She's like, I don't know where the finish. <laughs> we had this sort of like gut check of like, wait, what? <laughs> we get lost 200 meters from the finish line. Seriously. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but you made it. You did make it to that finish line. And can you tell us there was a lot of emotion. I watched the video several times. I think I got emotional watching it. What, what did that feel like that moment? It's it, like, it still doesn't feel real to me. Um, I mean, I've been an athlete my entire life. Um, and because of the company I keep, I always have felt like I'm just kind of like an okay athlete. Like I'm not the, I'm not, the best. Like I'm not, I've accomplished a lot. Like I've, I've accomplished a lot. And, and I attribute that to the company I've kept like at Stanford, I didn't make the Olympic team. Like I had some great swims and, and I contributed at NCAAs, but I wasn't the best on the team. So I sort of walked away from my swimming career feeling like I was like an okay swimmer. Um, and same thing in triathlon. Like I've won some Ironmans, which is glorious, but there are so many, so many more talented people out there that I think the emotion was to finally at 52 years old and two different sports to be able to say that I'm a world champion is like, it's crazy. Like it's, it doesn't seem real. Um, and I know it's a fringe event and I know it's not the equivalent of winning the hey, hey, no, world no, no. Okay, okay, okay. No, no, no. We're not, we're not discounting anything here. No, I know. I know. I, know, I think I know. it's, that is the most, I thought it was incredible, incredible accomplishment. And, um, I, I am just, I think highlighting that you are 52 years old and still doing this. I think that, I mean, it's pretty cool. That is very, very cool. And I think when we had you on in January, 2018, I mean, you did say age, age is a number. It is yeah. something, but here you are running. What did you like average? Like if we're, we were like right at nine minute pace, right? Yeah. I mean, for double marathon, I mean, after yeah. these two other incredible days and just showing us what can be done, which I think is your goal. Do we have that right? Yeah. Like it is. Um, I spent a lot of my triathlon career with people telling me like what I couldn't do and why I wasn't kind of good enough and that I should quit and that you're never going to win Kona. Your career is over. And I'm like, but I think there's things I can still be good at and things I want to do. Like I am, I'm just blessed that like hashtag blessed. I mean, blah, right. I mean, but I, I feel really lucky that I love what I do. I love it. Um, and finding ways to be successful at it still, in spite of the fact that I'm 52 and success is different for me than it would be for another athlete. Um, absolutely. Um, but the fact that I'm still setting goals for myself and able to, to tick those off is it's really exciting. And, and I'm willing to work incredibly hard to let that keep happening. So it just, for me, Ultraman had been such a lot, it had been such a long wait, um, I felt so loved and supported from my crew, from my community, like the messages we were getting on social media and text messages and Julie's phone blowing up with, you know, text messages from my training group and, you know, rally sport where I trained here, all of these people just rallying around this sort of quirky little race. And the fact that we've been around sport long enough to know that even when you're extremely well-prepared, it doesn't always, you don't always get what you deserve. You don't get what you prepared for. And on those three days, I, I just did. And it was, it was, I was so lucky and so fortunate to just have that experience that, yeah, it was, 
it was overwhelming. I had a, I had a, I pitched a fit about 30 minutes before the start of the race. Like I had been calm and one of the goals of my crew, I was like, you guys, this needs to be fun. So yes, we're serious and we're trying to win this thing, but it needs to be fun. And the cackling I heard coming out of our crew vehicle, I was like, dude, I want to be in the van. Like, I don't want to be out here. I want to be in that van. They're having too much fun in there. We really did have so much fun, but about 30 minutes before the start, I, I think it, it hit me and it hit me hard. And in my mind, I think I was thinking about all of the things that were going to go wrong over the three days, like the things that could go wrong, like the mechanicals, the physical, the nutritional, all of the things that could go wrong. And it was funny in, in speaking afterwards with my team, somebody reminded me, they're like, I'll actually take issue with that and think that you were overwhelmed by the fact that everything could go right. Everybody said to me ahead of time, you are so prepared. Nobody else is more prepared for this race than you are. And I think that was an overwhelming feeling. I was the fittest I've ever been in my life. I was healthy. I had an amazing crew and we had, our plans were just locked tight. Like we knew what we were out there to do and the stage was set. And I think that sort of overwhelming feeling kind of got to me like this could be the most incredible experience of my life. And emotionally, I'm, I don't know if I'm ready for it. <laughs> I still don't know if I'm ready for it. <laughs> Dee, I feel like we already need to schedule you for part two of this because I we want to be respectful of your time, but there is so much more we could dig into. But I do want to kind of take a step back and look at American women in triathlon this year, right? So, I mean, we have a clean sweep, <laughs> if you will, in the past few months this fall. You know, yeah. we have Chelsea Sodaro, winning Ironman world championships, Taylor Nib 70.3 world championships. And then you take the Ultraman world title, right? Yeah. And so, and if you look at the three women, everyone's at like, you couldn't be at probably more different points of life right. than you are, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, when you think about that, do you think that the U S is like, has been doing something right to create this? Like, have you thought at all about kind of, you know, are we just drinking really good water here in the well, US You know, the funny thing is that several months ago, and I don't know if it was going into the world championship in St. George or the world championship in Kona, but I was looking over the American women and I was like, we have a lot of, of great women who I thought could be in the top 10. Absolutely. I mean, I think any woman on the start list of the Ironman world championship in this day and age has the possibility of being in the top 10 because the the talent is just that deep. But I was like, well, she could be top 10. Could she win it? Eh. She could be top 10. Could she win it? Eh. And I actually asked myself, I'm like, where are the American women? Like, where are they? We have so many women who could be in the top 10, but who's the one that's going to be fighting for the win? And I was sort of like, what's, I, I don't know. And I, I got nervous for a minute, like in my heart. And then boy, was I wrong. Like, look, look at what the American women did. And it was so inspiring. And so amazing. Um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's really, really, I think it's super like, I think it's, and I think because it was so surprising, like, I don't think anybody expected Chelsea Sodaro to win in Kona. And I mean, I think Taylor Nib was absolutely a favorite, but with the injuries that she had had, she was a big question mark too. So I, I think the surprises are what makes that sort of American sweep. So exciting. And one last question. Uh, when did you find out you broke the record? And does that mean anything to you? You broke, you know, the Ultraman. 
world championship course record, course record. for women. Yes. Yeah. What, what did that mean to you? I mean, you already hold the world record, um, for wait, well, the use was, wait, was your time faster? I should know this. Where is it? My, no, my time at Florida was like by, almost Florida. an hour faster. Yeah. Okay. Almost okay. by an hour. Um, uh, maybe a half hour. I don't know. My time in Florida was much, much faster, but yeah, to, the, the record wasn't necessarily my goal. And in, in fact, like even going into Ultraman Florida the night before day three, when Julie told me if I ran, I don't know, 10 hours that I would break the world record. I was like, why? Number one, why would you tell me that? I don't need that pressure. And number two, I was like, they keep world records for this sort of thing. Like how, <laughs> how, how strange. <laughs> I just didn't know. And so I hadn't looked at the records, um, quite frankly. I had a, I had some bonuses attached to the swim course record, so I did take a peek at that. But that you're so vulnerable to the conditions on the day that it's not like I spent much time thinking about it because you're sort of at the mercy of of what Mother Nature gives you, as well as the course overall. Um, so the record itself didn't mean as much to me as as winning the race. Um, but being able to say I'm the fastest across that course in history, yeah, I mean, that's pretty cool. Again, I want that day two bike course record back, dang it, but it, it's cool. Will you do to, it again? Would you try well, it again? They said at awards, they're like, we don't give away free entry here at Ultraman, but because you set a course record, they said, if you want to come back again and play next year, your entry will be free. And I literally looked her straight in the face. I was like, oh, hell no, no, no. <laughs> too soon, too soon. But wait, you give yourself a little more space. Yeah, I, a little more time, a little more time. Yeah, we'll that see. Perfectly. Yeah. I do know, I can say with certainty, I am not done. I had given some thought, like, what a great way to to step out, right? Like, just let's mic drop right now. 52 years old, world champion, mic drop, peace out, I'm, I'm done. Um, but I think I'm, there's still another goal or two that I want to chase. And I think it's, it's worth it for, because once you're done, you're done. And I don't think I'm ready to be done just yet. So um, I have so much gratitude for the past several months in the, the lead up to this race and the experience that I had. Um, and it's, it's, yeah, it's a bit of confidence. It's a little bit of confidence. Yeah. Oh, well, Didi, I could sit here and listen to stories about this all night, but thank you so much for coming on and telling us a little bit about this record setting performance. It's always a blast to hear from you, no matter what you're doing. And we can't wait to see what you have up your sleeve still. All right. Well, I love chatting with you guys. So thank you so much for having me. Well, Haley, in the last couple of months, I feel like we've had a lot of Ultraman fever on the Iron Women podcast. Where do you stand? Are you any closer to wanting to do Ultraman one day? No, I'm an Ultraman fan. <laughs> I I don't. I I think I've gone on this. Like uh, one of the things that gets me through races is knowing that I'm going to wake up early. I'm going to be real nervous. I'm going to do the race one day. And then the next day I'm just going to lounge. I am a big lounger. Like I just don't have it in me. Like what some of these Ultraman athletes do where they like love to grind every day. I love to lounge every day and go hard on special days. Oh, uh, I love How about it. you. How about um, you? I mean, I feel like this is you're you are quite adept to the multi-day events. Yeah, you would think I'd be like chomping at the bit, but I don't know what it I think it's I think it's just the location. I think if they keep popping up and the location really strikes me for it, then then I I'd be into it. But what I'm location would the, you like to see it? Ultraman <laughs> Vermont. Ultraman Vermont, where you like <laughs> swim in the late, right? Like a 10k ocean swim. I'm rarely going to really be like chomping at the bit for and then it's a lot of riding but I could ride around here 
And then I could like do some, you know, then you could run the long trail for the 50 mile. Right. So like, I just need the a runs not hard enough. For special you. version. You want the run to be harder. <laughs> but no, I don't know. I think, yeah, I think for whatever reason, I think I'm like keeping an eye on it, but it just hasn't quite gotten me yet, but I enjoy, um, coaching and crewing Ultraman until then. So, so we have that. Um, but all right, Haley, happy holidays. Enjoy give cowboy extra Christmas cookies for me this week. I will. He needs them. He's so hungry all the time. (laughs) And enjoy your two weeks break. And I will see you in 2023. Oh, I'm so excited. Have a great break and holiday. Alyssa, I'll talk to you soon. You have been listening to the Iron Women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron Woman is a production of Feisty Media and is edited by Amelia Perry and produced by Ella Natitian. Head to livefeisty.com to find more podcasts, events, stories, and fresh perspectives. Thanks for listening.